Two kinds of people in the world. Those who love Hallmark holiday movies and those who don't. Raise your hand if you love Hallmark holiday movies. Do they play on repeat in your home? There's a few of you. Maybe you, uh, some of the others of you don't know that that's a thing. Hallmark holiday movies always end well, right? They're warm. They're nurturing. They're super cheesy. <laughs> Hallmark holiday movies bring out the sentimentality of the holidays, right? And we think about home. Man, that's a great concept, home. It's a four-letter word, and it's so simple, and it implies so many different things to different ones of us. Just think about the question when people ask you when you're getting acquainted initially, where are you from? What does that bring up for you? For some of you, that's another nation another country that's memories of early childhood. But is that home? Is home the place where we were born? I was born in Denver, Colorado. But I only get there now very occasionally, but something's in the air in Denver, in the Mile High City, and I feel some sense of connection to the mountains and the majesty. But then I also think about Nebraska. I think about eastern Nebraska and western Iowa, and I think about childhood gatherings with my grandmother and her sisters that would rotate homes hosting Thanksgiving and Christmas and these enormously long tables and relatives, aunts, uncles, cousins, people that we only saw once a year can still smell it. The kitchen smells. The sights, the sounds, the temperature, which for those of you in California is frightening. Frighteningly cold. And then I think about my kids and I think about the Christmases with their mother. And I think about those times in Omaha and then later in Chicago. But the houses that they grew up in are not in our family anymore. So where's home for them? My oldest migrated from Chicago to Michigan, initially to Kalamazoo, later to Detroit, and that's where he's lived for about 10 years now. And my second oldest is living there in Detroit, but his fiance has moved to New York City. That will be home for them soon. He's looking for work in New York. And my son, number three, has lived in Tunisia. He's lived in Kenya. He's living presently in Nigeria. But when I talked to him last, he's evaluating a job change that will take him out of Nigeria to where? Who knows? Probably Africa. My baby girl, Olivia, she's the only connection in Chicago. She's the only one left there, but she's moved from the suburbs into the city. 
Is Chicago home? Or Omaha? Or Denver? Is this home? I love Alameda. I love my place. I spend a lot of time there. I'm not going to see any of my kids. I'm not going to see my parents. I'm not going to see my grandparents this Christmas. Where's home? Maybe home is Deben and Jeanette's because they've got an open-door policy for this guy. Love that. Had a lot of Christmases there. But what if home is not a place? What if Isaiah's prophecy about streams in the desert isn't about where we're from, but is more about where we're heading, where God is leading us? Streams in the desert represent a place to which God is taking us now. God's on the move. And if you're following Him, you're in movement, you're in flux, you are evolving into the person God wants you to be at the place that He wants you to be. Pastor Laurel shared with us a few weeks back about God's call and how God's calling is taking her from here to another place. God's people have always been a people on the move. Think about Abraham in his retirement years at 85. God came to him and said, Abraham, pack your stuff. We're going. I'll tell you more along the way. Man, that's faith. God leads his people. Isaiah's original audience was a people displaced. A people whose home had been ransacked, and who had been taken as political prisoners to another far-off place. And God's people in exile received the words of Isaiah, chapter 35. If you haven't found your way there yet, would you do so? If you have a Bible, a tablet, a laptop, most likely just a phone, did you check in this morning? First Baptist. All right. Isaiah 35, verse 1 says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. Desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, the King James says, the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing the glory of Lebanon shall be given it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Isaiah begins by talking about a place, the desert, the wilderness. So familiar to the people of God and to their ancestors who traveled throughout the barren land in route to the promised land. The promised land that was now a distant memory. Maybe your place is so far back and you feel detached from where you came from, your country of origin, the place where you were born, the spot 
where you grew up, maybe it's right in front of you. But God talks about the land. I find this fascinating. That the desert will bloom. Can you imagine? Think about what we're trying to do with water in bringing wells to these villages in, in the developing world. That that place will be glad, that it will be no longer barren, but streams in the desert, the image of water will, will nurture it, it will develop, it will grow. God is doing something. And Isaiah wants us to know that God makes a way where there seems to be no way. There's nowhere more barren and desolate than the desert, right? A couple of my sons were here a few months back, and we took a little road trip to see some of the national parks. And we left Yosemite, and we drove through the night to stay in Las Vegas. We got into Vegas in the middle of the night. But we drove through Death Valley. And it was dark. I was so disappointed. I wanted to see Death Valley. But we pulled off the road at one point, and there was nothing and no one on the road. And the light shined out into the tumbleweed, and I thought, man, we are in the middle of nowhere. So we did something strange. We just kind of laid out on our backs in the middle of the highway and looked up into the sky. Man, this place is bare. We watched for cars. No worries. But the desert will be fruitful, it will be bountiful, it will bloom. This is hope. Through the prophet Isaiah, God speaks into our lives a word of hope that things can be better than they presently are. I want you to believe that, church. If you find yourself in a desert, if you find yourself in exile, God speaks about streams of water. So verse 3, Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are fearful of heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. This stanza reinforces the idea that God cares for us, that he's mindful of us. And it's a word in season because many of us have come to doubt God's care for us. It's something we don't talk about a lot, but I think it's pervasive in the church that we kind of talk the talk. Amen. God is good. God is with me. God is there. But has that message made the pilgrimage from head to heart? Do we believe in our emotional, vulnerable, wounded self that God's with us, that 
he's in this with us, that he cares for us. Can we see God in our brokenness? In our pain? In our grief? The text says some of us are weak. What we need is to strengthen one another, to rally ourselves, to begin once more to believe that God is in this. Which means our perception needs to change, our perspective. We need to widen our view. We need to be on the lookout for where God is with us. You remember it's probably 20, 25 years ago now, this book by Henry Blackaby. What was the name of this book? Experiencing God. By Henry Blackaby. If you never read that, pick it up. You'll probably find it used online for about two or three bucks. And order that. Experiencing God, look for. Because verse 5 says, Then eyes, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. Water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. There's our phrase. We will see it. When Jesus came on the scene, that's what was going on. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what did Jesus do? He went around and he spent time with the down and the out and the disenfranchised. And he said, look, the hookers, the street walkers, the drug pushers, they're closer than you guys to the kingdom of God. That's real stuff. That's heart stuff. That's where God longs to connect with us. The kingdom of God is in the rough and tumble. The kingdom of God is in the bars. The kingdom of God is on the streets. The kingdom of God is in the tent camps. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's everywhere. You just need to see it. To experience it. The kingdom of God is the real the kingdom of God is, uh, is where it's at. The kingdom of God is where we are. God is taking us to a place that we can call home. Streams in the desert are taking us to a place of God's choosing. Verse 8, a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the holy way. I love that. Look, no, the unclean shall not travel on it. Verse 9, no lion shall be there, nor ravenous beast. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return, verse 10, and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Do you see what's happened through the streams in the desert from a place of barrenness to Zion? And Zion had become for God's people not a place, not a, not a mountain, not a temple, but where they were. Where do you worship God? Where do you connect with Him? It's where you're at. So if we go back to our original question that we posed, where is home? Home 
is where we are. Home's a state of being. It's the realization that I'm connected to my kids wherever in the world they are. I'm connected to my parents, to those who went before me, in a way spiritually and psychically that nurtures me, that makes me who I am. All of those experiences as a young child growing up, wherever you grew up, those things formed you and brought you to this place. And God is alive and active in your world, in your life. And home is where you find yourself. Home is knowing who we are in God. That's our Zion. That's our joy. That's the realization. It sounds corny, but stay with me. That we are exactly where we're supposed to be. And listen, that the experiences in your life are exactly what they were supposed to be to bring you to the place where you are. That's going to require a little bit of acceptance. That's going to require letting go of some things in order to accept and believe that I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. And God is doing something in me that's amazing. I hope you believe that. I hope you understand that regardless of your situation right now, God is in it with you. And if it seems barren, if it seems desolate, if you seem disoriented or discouraged or lost or curious, just stick with it. Hang in there. Understand that God is bringing streams into your desert to bring you home. You've heard the expression that this world is not my home. Right? Where you're from is not where you're going. God is taking you to a new place. Because the door of this life is going to close on you one day. If you haven't heard it, let me be the first to tell you, you are going to die. How's that for a cheerful thought? Yay. Might be soon, it might be far, you're going to die, you're going to close your eyes in death and open them to the eternal sunshine of God's love. A place that's brilliant, beautiful. Where is it? Where's heaven? Somebody tell me. East or west? North? South? Up? Down? All around? It's with God. And you know what? It's already started.
Eternal life is not a, uh, a quantity of time that we live forever. It's a quality of life. And Jesus came and he brought it. He brought it. He brought it. And if you've trusted in Christ, you've got it. You're living life eternal right here, right now. Mm. Man, if we understood that. I want to invite you to be curious with me. And take some time this week. Maybe do a little journaling. Think about home. Think about where you came from, what your experiences have been. Where have you lived? In six years, I've had six addresses. I am so confused. <laughs> where did you come from? Where are you going? Because we're looking for joy. And joy can be found right where you are. I'm going to conclude with a story, fable of sorts. The, uh, the angels were talking amongst themselves. And they said, where can, where can we put joy that folks won't be able to find it? And one of the angels said, let's put it on the, on the highest mountaintop. And they thought about it and they said, nah, you know what, people... People climb that mountain, they'll find it, they'll get it. And the other angel said, well, let's, uh, let's put it in the deepest depths of the sea. And the other angel said, ah, you know what, folks are pretty enterprising, they'll probably come up with a submarine and they'd go down there and find it. Other angel said, I've got it. Let's take happiness and joy and put it right inside of them. They will never find it there. <laughs> God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our daily bread. Thank you that you embrace us. And you've placed within each one of us the potential to experience joy, streams in the desert of our lives. Thank you for memories, God, distant and some near. Thank you for dreams, for the way that you speak to us. Thank you for moments in which we reflect. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and to be guided in our prayers and just to spend time with you. Thank you for your ruthless commitment to us. Thank you for the truth, God, that we are loved with an everlasting love. That our lives matter to you. That you're committed to us. That you're a friend, God, that sticks closer than a brother. You're with us in whatever we experience. God, give us courage to believe what we can't see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. God, let us live this life with zeal 
enthusiasm, and the ongoing quest for unstoppable joy. In Christ we pray. Amen.